0: Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That means improving your photo skills, building on your business knowledge, and honing your marketing abilities, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We do try to bring this show to you commercial-free, so make sure to check out our sponsors, photographersedit.com, And Milu, M I I L U.com. Photographer's Edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. Again, Photographer'sEdit.com and Milu.com. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode, and I'm joined by a brand new guest, Maggie Fisher. Maggie, thank you for hanging out with me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: We managed to overcome some technical difficulties uh, amidst (laughs) the kind of uncertain times that we also live in at the moment just in general with uh, Corona, but uh, we've we've stepped beyond those and we actually are going to dig into an interesting topic today that we haven't really touched on a whole lot here on the podcast and that is... The distinction between somebody who might be considered an amateur photographer versus one who is established in a legitimate business as a professional photographer, covering some some ideas related to that. We're going to touch on that in just a bit, but we normally start off the conversations here at the Boca podcast, um, first of all, with a series of questions that I like to ask most of my guests. And the first one is one that I've gotten a little bit obsessive about, I will say, I admit, but this has to do with brand position and i'm curious if you in in the market that you've that you've been working in running your photography business in have you had a difficult time standing out amidst other photographers what has been that message that brand message that has created some distinction for you
1: yeah well so i had thought about this when you proposed it to me from a couple of different points cuz now we had just launched our our law shop for creatives called Artist Lawyer. And I had thought about it through that perspective. Um, But I think for for that, there are tons of contract shops out there. There's tons of templates out there that you you can find for your business. And for me, with wanting to move forward with offering templates and contracts and legal consultations for creatives, I wanted to use my background of being heavily in the photography and creative world Um, I had worked in the surf industry in the past, and then also pursuing law at the same time. I had my feet heavily planted on both sides of left brain, right brain, photography, and legal business logistics, and I wanted to offer a combination of you know, that insight and that super detailed niche perspective that I can offer for templates and consultations for other creatives. So that was kind of the perspective that I had thought through when you when you sent me that question earlier, but um,
0: that would help create some distinction in the photography industry. Is there something as just as a photographer in your local market as you're photographing primarily weddings? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, mostly wedding.
0: Yeah. So what what makes you stand out as a photography business, as a wedding photographer in the market that you're based in? And by the way, what market are you currently based in?
1: So we're mostly South Jersey. Um, I'm based in Ocean City. We do Philadelphia, Tri-State okay. area on the East Coast, a little bit of destination.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah. So in that market, I mean, I I can imagine it's a pretty crowded market with a lot of different wedding photographers. What is that brand position that enables you to stand out?
1: Our biggest referral is word of mouth. And I think from that, it's the connections that we form with our clients and not only with our clients, but with the, the guests and the parents and everybody we're interacting with, the biggest feedback that we get on wedding days and when we get referrals is that we just kind of blend it in. We felt like family or friends, we formed these lifelong relationships, no matter the number of weddings that we have, we're super big into communication. Um, we have a very detailed workflow, even though a lot of it is automated, it's very, very hands-on, very boutique, very, very personal. So I think having that those relationships and that connection is something that, you know, we really focus on, we really value. And it's something that's set us apart and given us, us a ton of referrals in our local market.
0: And you said you, you've you background in law. Um, and, and of course, mm-hmm. this is why you have the ability to be able to, to sell contracts for creatives. Mm-hmm. But you also are in surf photography. That's that's not something that I... I'm, maybe one or two guests out of the 400 plus <laughs> that I've had on here or so, I mean, that that even have kind of tapped into that realm. How long yeah. were you involved in surf photography?
1: Yeah. So I'm a, a tiny... Town in New Jersey called Ocean City. We have a big surf culture here. So I grew up um, on the beaches and in the water. A lot of my family surfers. I I surf a little bit. Um, My husband's a big surfer. And in between college and law school, I started working with a local professional surfer. Um, She was under 18 at the time, and I had taken a gap year before going on to law school, and her family and manager had asked me to travel with her um, as her photographer and to kind of manage her since she was 17 at the time. Wow. I got to travel around the world with her. We you know, started in Australia for a couple months and from there I got really ingrained in the female surf community. There weren't at the time a lot of other women who were photographing in the water. So I actually put, I shoot on now a Canon Mark IV. At the time it was a Mark III. I have this big water housing that's, you know, a couple, three to $4,000 to contraption to put my my camera into. And I was swimming in giant waves. I had no concept of fear <laughs> <laughs> at the time. It was not the smartest thing I've ever done. Looking back, I wouldn't do it now. Um, but I was swimming in these massive waves and shooting these female surfers in the water and they were like, wow, we don't know any other other women our age who are doing this. And they wanted to work with me. So they started connecting me with the brands they were working with. So I shot for Billabong. I had, you know, photographs from Surfing Magazine. Um, I got deals with Swatch and like at really cool companies that I got to, you know, work with and sell my photos to because of the relationships that I had created with these incredible athletes. And wow. it was so cool to support them in their You know their athleticism but also as a young female too I think I think it was hard for them. you know they're constantly working with with older men and they you know they didn't want to be it's a delicate balance when you're a female surfer like you don't want to be overly sexualized and you're in this a bikini all of the time but you still want to use your femininity for your sponsors and like create these beautiful photographs for whatever companies you're working with so I think Striking that delicate balance was something that that I really valued too. For you know, supporting them in their athleticism and they're you know they're all incredibly talented, and you know, working with them was it was really cool.
0: <laughs> well, and you've had such a wide range of experience now, being a wedding photographer, a surf photographer, traveling internationally, of course, being in, in law. What's one of the most ex, uh, important principles that you've learned when it comes to? customer experience i mean you you've already alluded to the significance of the relationship and the connection with the individual are there any other principles that are standouts in your mind when it comes to providing that really great experience
1: yeah i mean i think over anything like we are we are here for our clients and for the relationships and when we're serving our clients like the relationships are more valuable than anything and the experience that that we give them and i think that reflects in the photographs that you provide for them, it reflects how they feel about the photographs, how they, how they look back on those moments that you captured for them. And I think putting relationships first, instead of, you know, I I was able to do so many different things by, by valuing relationships. I never, um, I don't know, I don't want to say like exploited them or took advantage of them, but I, I respected the relationships more than anything. And that came first. So I think that translates into wedding photography as well. Um, and any, any service-based business, if you're putting the people first and you're serving them you're doing things for them and not just looking out for yourself or get out of it or get ahead or, um, you know, that's going to come back times 10 for, for you. And
0: these relationships, I mean, they, Times can be quite time consuming to maintain. You did mention automation earlier, kind of playing a role in being able to run ultimately a more efficient yeah. business obviously, but are there other techniques for managing time more effectively that you've learned over the years?
1: Yeah, I mean definitely outsourcing and system using like automated systems and workflows has been very beneficial for for me and my business um, after I traveled and did all that the surf photography during my gap year my photo- my wedding photography business really started taking off throughout law school and i was shooting 30 weddings a year and running my associate team all through law school and clerking and i had to have really clean systems for that were reliable that i could put my clients into and still give them that like boutique service level that that i valued and that i wanted to have with them so Using you know different systems, different um, client management systems, and thinking through what you want your client experience to look like is something that will go a really long way. Like I think it's hard to invest that time up front into your business and to put all this time into writing emails and setting up workflows and that kind of thing. But once you do, you're going to gain back so much time.
0: And talk to me specifically about the systems. You you mentioned kind of in passing CRMs, for example, but are are there specific tools or pieces of software that you're using that enable you to automate?
1: Yeah, so um, we just switched over to Dubsado. We had been with Studio Ninja for a long time, which is what we used for all of our workflows and client input. Okay. It's super important for me that we have, you know, this whole system set up where it's really seamless for our clients. They're getting these... Reminder emails. I remind them um, automatically. I think it's like seven days before their wedding, what details they should be prepping to put aside. There's like a six month check in, there's a three month check in, there's questionnaires, there's just so many different pieces in that workflow. And then um, using like a calendar system. So you're not going back and forth scheduling calls with your clients. We have a bookkeeping system called Bench that we use. That's been incredible. Like I really? don't touch QuickBooks or my, my accounting anymore, which is such a time saver. Like everything is automatically sorted for me. Okay. I have you know a designated bookkeeper that's been really awesome. I can just look and see like what what my spending is and what you know what categories I'm spending in the most each month.
0: You said that system was called Bench. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Bench. It's an, it, they're incredible. It's like so worth it. I'm not uh, sure if I I've heard agree. of them
0: before. What are they specifically? Are they like a, some type of a go between an accounting between QuickBooks or.
1: They're a bookkeeper and it's all through their app and system. So I basically, you, you do this whole onboarding process with them. I link my, they have a system where you link your bank account to their you know, their software and they get your statements for you. And I, so if you use like Venmo or, you know, PayPal, any of those things, you can, you can link that stuff to them or, or forward them your statements and they categorize all of your income and all of your expenses into your customized categories. And at the end of each month you get, it's a mobile app. It's a desktop app. You can log on and see what your income was, what your spending was. There's graph chart, graphical charts, with um you know all different kinds like bar graphs and pie charts where you can see what your spending is. Wow. And it's super helpful. At the end of the year, they package everything up for you and give it so I have a separate accountant that I've had for like seven years. And they send it right to my accountant with everything neatly organized with a bow on top. And I don't even touch my books. I just look at it from like a pulled back perspective and I don't have to do the nitty-gritty stuff anymore, which saves me so much time and anxiety.
0: Yeah. Oh, man, that sounds quite interesting, actually. And I don't think I've ever heard of the service before. Do they tie in to QuickBooks or is it really is just truly no. really a separate thing?
1: Yeah. So that's a big drawback for some people who love to use QuickBooks and don't want to get away from that app. Um, this is all within their own software. Okay. So you don't need QuickBooks anymore, which is the good thing that you're yeah. not paying for that service. But if you're attached to QuickBooks, then um, or if your accountant is, then... You, you lose that, that app and that software. But I don't know. I loved it. It was, for me, it was totally worth it to just sure. hand it off to somebody else. And I get a neat little package each month and at the end of the year. And it's one less thing that I have to do that is not my specialty and is not best serving me in my business by organizing expenses.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, that, that makes a big difference. I know finances and especially managing, like you said, the the kind of busy work, the nitty gritty of, of finances was just it was such a turnoff for me as a photography business owner. And so yeah. to be able to delegate that elsewhere and have somebody else take care of the organization, of all of that would be pretty brilliant. So we'll link to that in the show notes. By the way, for anybody listening in, if you go to com, we'll link to all the resources and talking points from today's conversation there in the show notes make sure you take advantage of that. Are there any other areas that you also delegate or have delegated in your business that you have found beneficial?
1: Yeah, definitely. Outsourcing editing is super important, which I know you're an expert in as well. (laughs) Shout out to photographers edit. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, which we use too at, at some different points, but we, um, so when I started law school, I knew that I couldn't do 30 weddings a year by myself and do law school. So I hired a studio manager. She's been with us part-time for now about four or five years. And she does all of our culling, all of our editing, uploading, shipping USBs, sending galleries to vendors. Um, We just brought on a virtual assistant. So she does a lot of our like client inputting and scheduling and that kind of stuff. So a lot of like my the photography side of my business pretty much runs itself. That's great. What I'm doing is I feel like I'm doing what's best for my brand. I'm like an overall brand manager. I'm meeting with clients when they want to book. I'm having calls with them and I'm answering emails and I'm just kind of like overseeing the overall brand as far as like branding. I have a content manager who does all of my social media, blog posts, submitting to magazines, um, all that kind of stuff too. So all of it's like pretty situated.
0: Wow. I, I love this. Well, and, and it's very much a, a reflection really of something I know that's important to you, Is which is the idea of being a CEO, overseeing your business versus being kind of stuck in it. And mm-hmm. I know that's something that a lot of photographers and myself at, at times as well as a business owner of different types, um, I've gotten stuck in the busy work rather than kind of focusing on the bigger picture. And mm-hmm. it can be draining um, and it can be exhausting and ultimately we don't have the, the freedom and the flexibility that we could have as business owners if we don't step beyond that, if we don't learn how to be CEO. And, um, so I, I love this reminder. I, I am curious though, when it comes to delegation, cause you're, you're delegating a number of things to someone else or other people is communication a, uh, has that been a challenge for you learning how to communicate what it is that you want effectively to somebody else so they get it done the way that you want it to?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, there's definitely um, a commitment to the process and not the short-term, you know, it's not a quick fix. It's not, It's you're in it for the long game. I remember with my studio manager, it took months for me to let go of control as far as editing and selection of images. And, you know, I was constantly giving her feedback, saying, well, I would have done it this way or I would have done it that way. Yeah. And you do have to get to a point where, you know, there's things as a business owner that, you know, you would do things one way and, you know, maybe you would have edited this one image differently, but you kind of have to let go of, you know, a hundred percent control. You have to trust that, that, you know, the people you've chosen to work with you are going to do their best job. And, you know, a client's not really going to notice if I but would have bumped the highlights up like 0.1 percent right. <laughs> in Lightroom. Yeah. Um and I had to let go of a little bit of control. Um, and now that she's been with us for years, she's got it completely dialed. Like our editing has evolved. I, you know, I work with her in touch base with her, but now she's at the point where she's got all that stuff on lock. Um, and it, you know, it took months, if not years to get to that point, but it's worth it because now that's not something I have to worry about. We have, I, And who knows with COVID, but we had 86 weddings scheduled for this year and I don't edit any of them. Um, You know, I oversee it. I touch all of those images and approve them. And, you know, I'm editing a few of them here and there, but we're able to, you know, push through that number of weddings by outsourcing to um, our studio manager and then also editing companies too when we get too overwhelmed.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And, and it speaks volumes. The fact that you can have, you can book that many weddings and not get overwhelmed in the process. Um, you're truly playing the role of a CEO and I have a lot of respect for that. Talk to me about, um, inspiration. This is a kind of a new question I've been asking guests this year. And I'm curious if there's a, an area outside the photography industry, outside of photographers, Instagram accounts, um, that you find inspiration mm-hmm. that has been a motivation for you as a business owner and a photographer.
1: Yeah, I love this question. And I think that a year ago, I would have told you travel. Um, And travel, I feel like it's always inspiring, but really what's at the root of travel is that you're present and you're connected with Mm. the moment that you're in. And I think that something that I've been trying to work on is not finding inspiration from other photographers' images. I want to find inspiration from Waking up in the morning and sitting on my front porch and drinking coffee and reading a book, or meditating or taking a walk on the beach with my husband and like really feeling the sand as you walk. and like taking in all of those moments and just being present for me is so inspiring. And I feel like we get so caught up in these digital worlds and comparing our photos to what everyone else is doing. But, if you're really present, especially on a wedding day, if you're watching, you know, there's so many things that you might not realize. You might not know what, you know, a parent of a bride is going through or what, you know, a trial that they've overcome to get to their wedding day. I mean, especially now we're seeing all of our brides go through so much and if you're just present. You can be aware of all these things that are going on and all these moments that might, you might not have noticed if you're so focused on getting that shot that you saw on Instagram of, you know, this like certain shoe shot. But if you're if you're really there and present and listening, there might be this like really delicate moment between the mom and the bride or the parents. Like everyone always forgets that shot of just the parents alone, and that to me is such an important photo. And I think just just being present is so so important and so forgotten sometimes.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I was thinking about, you know, the, you talked about the significance of meditation, what taking a watch, walk on the beach and and appreciating time with your husband, um, how that would actually translate to your business. But it seems as though a lot of that is just about freeing your mind. I mean, it's so easy to be, as you were talking about stuck in other photographers, Instagram accounts and comparing yourself. And ultimately, that's just a lot of digital noise you're not free mm-hmm. and clear to be in the moment to focus on the clients at hand to focus on your job at hand and to have a clear head for that purpose and so taking mm-hmm. time away from all of that that digital noise that really can make a big difference and that's a really great reminder do do you take any particular approach to meditation we've we've talked some about this uh, about the topic on the podcast a little bit and it's fun to hear different different people's approach to the idea
1: yeah so in January, I attended a um, it was a yoga and meditation retreat, and that was super helpful for me to get back into that mindset and to remember how important it is. I sometimes I you know we all get caught up. I don't I don't do it as often as I should or as I want to. Sure. But every time that I I force myself to find stillness, to not take my photo in, or my phone into the bathroom with me to scroll on Instagram right. or to not just turn the TV on, to just be present. Yeah. And there's a couple different techniques that I've learned that were really helpful. Meditation was always very scary to me. I was like, oh no, like my head is so noisy. What, <laughs> you know, how can I sit in stillness? Sure. But one of the ones that I love is a five second breath that so you do five seconds in, five seconds, hold it at the top. Five seconds out, yeah. five seconds, hold it at the bottom. And you can do that anywhere. Like when you're driving, you can do that, um, you know, even on a wedding day, you can do that in the morning, you can do that at night. Um, and then there's also one that you just check in with all of your senses. So, like, what are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are you hearing? What are you feeling? Um, just checking in with all of your senses to really bring you back into being present in your body and not, you know, caught up on on all the things (laughs) in our minds and technology.
0: Yeah. There is a, I think one of the things that can be, that could cause apprehension when it comes to meditation is this assumption that we're not allowed to think about anything because a lot of us do have busy minds. You know, even if it it varies Mm -hmm. from person to person, there's a lot going on in our, in our worlds. And, and so the idea that we have to sit and not think about something is a bit of an overwhelming concept, but, Something I've shared before in the podcast, and and I, something I've found very inspiring is a book that I'm actually rereading at the moment again with my daughter. Uh, it's a book by Aww. Michael Singer called The Untethered Soul, and uh, and he, yes. d- <laughs> yeah, have you read this book?
1: A while ago, yeah, it's yeah. such a good book.
0: Oh, it's an amazing book, and he talks about the idea of seeing a thought in. So you're you're actually acknowledging it. A lot of people might try to not think about anything, and that's just futile in the end. So you you see the thought you acknowledge it, but then you see it, literally see it out of your mind. So I can almost imagine like, as I'm sitting there, um, that, that I'm, I'm seeing this thought, but I'm seeing it out the door of my mind. And I mm-hmm. repeat that visual over and over and over again to the point where I can just find myself in a, in a relatively deep meditation. And it's really interesting how that works. Um, you can, you can acknowledge it, but you can see it out and you don't have to give it significance. And, and then it doesn't take so much space in your mind. And you repeat that over and over again. It's amazing how you can free yourself up. So I, I, it's yeah. fun to hear different people's approaches and, to, to this because it really can vary from person to person, but it is a wonderful practice. And I'm very much like you. I, I should do it a lot more because I've found so much benefit from it. Even if it's for just maybe 10 minutes, it can make such a, a big difference. And I highly recommend certainly the book and, and ultimately that activity to everybody listening in if you can make the time for it.
1: Yeah, awesome.
0: Talk to me about, um, speaking of books actually, an impactful business or self-help book that you've read or listened to that's really made a big impact on your life.
1: Yeah, Um. so the first one that came to mind is Originals. I don't know if you've heard of that book. No, I haven't. Uh, it is one of my favorite books. I That is the book that I buy for people. Really? <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, so I, I bought it from my web designer. I use Tonic Site Shop. They're incredible. They're and I awesome. sent it to they're so great. i am um, working with Jeff for, I guess it's been like two years now. He did our first site. And now he just um, finished up our our new business's website for the artist lawyer. Um, and now we're making some changes. So I've been working with him for a while and I sent him originals and anyone that I work with who's a creative or a business owner, I send them that book. And now I, I want to go back and reread it, but it's, it's the title of it is "Originals: How Nonconformists Move the World." It's by Adam Grant. Yeah, and it's all about um, novel ideas and values, how to go against the grain, how to battle conformity and um, traditions, and how we can have new ideas and policies, practices. So I I love that book. I think it was a really good read. I couldn't put it down. I I share it with everyone. And then of course, the Four Hour Work Week is just incredible. I don't know
0: if you've heard of that one. <laughs> yeah, maybe just a little bit. No, we we kind of talk uh, endlessly about that particular <laughs> book here on the podcast, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when, when I started Photographers' Edit back in two thousand eight, I was in the process, or in the process of launching the company. I guess two thousand seven into two thousand eight, I was in the process of reading the book at the time, and, and what I realized is that Tim and I had similar thought processes to doing work, and you know, his the, the thing that that I think a lot of people that the reason they end up kind of ignoring the book is they see that title and they're like, they kind of roll their eyes like, Oh, the four hour work week. There's no way I could do something like that. And he has said since the, the title isn't meant to be literal and that everybody should be only working a four hour work week. It's ultimately about figuring out how to work intelligently to leverage um, time and resources ultimately to have more time and, and to work more efficiently. And so I, I was actually able to to create a workflow with my business early on, relatively early on, that enabled me to work as little as about four hours a week. So it is possible, but at the same time, it yeah. doesn't have to be that way for everybody. It's more about efficiency and workflow. As you pointed out a few minutes ago, many of us could save probably easily 10, 15, 20 hours a week if we just made some changes in the way that we approach workflow and mm-hmm. uh, for those of you listening in, make sure that you take advantage. Actually, we've, we've done so many different episodes on workflow and efficient workflow here at the podcast. If you just go to BocaPodcast.com and scroll down to the categories, you'll see a category there for workflow. Make sure you take advantage of that uh, because there's a lot of content there. But I'm glad that you highlight that book in originals. I'm going to have to add that to my list. I pull it up while you were talking about it. Um, I'm going to have to add it to my list here because I haven't yeah. read that one yet. That sounds really interesting.
1: I'll send it to you. <laughs> oh,
0: that would be awesome. Well, we'll put both those books in the show notes too at BocaPodcast.com yeah. for everybody listening in. But let's just kind of jump into our primary focus today. We're, we're going to be talking a little bit about that transition from amateur to professional photographer. And you know, what's interesting to think about, we've, we've alluded to or mentioned uh, COVID, coronavirus a number of times in our conversation today. For those of you who are listening in, you know, months or years even from now we're going, we're dealing with the coronavirus at the moment, which is kind of shut down photography businesses at the moment. It's pretty stressful, but I can imagine that one of the things that might happen as we come out of this as brides and and other clients, portrait clients or or wedding clients have less money to spend that we may see some more photographers come out of the woodwork and, and attempt to become a professional photographer. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But there are differences, really, between the way that an, an amateur photographer functions and a professional photographer functions. And uh, it's more than just kind of philosophical. It's very tangible in nature. And Maggie's going to share some of those differences in a little bit. But Maggie, I'd love for you to, you to kind of share your backstory to begin with. You've alluded to studying law and then being a photographer at the same time. Can you share that story a bit?
1: Yeah, Sure. So I am a lawyer. I'm licensed in the state of New Jersey. I've been a photographer for about seven years and both kind of just took off very organically on natural paths at the same time. Hmm. These like parallel roads and... I knew that one day one would have to take over, you know, the roads would split and I would have to choose one. But for a while I was able to, to sustain both. So all through law school, I was shooting 30 weddings and building my associate team during, we would have, you know, these these reading periods, which were study breaks for, for finals, um, this like two week gap in between classes. And I would go on surf trips to shoot surf, and editorial work every time, all through law school. Wow! And then I worked for a big, um, a big corporate law firm, and I clerked for an appellate judge, and I had an offer to go. To my dream firm, the only firm that I really wanted to work at because they're super, they're big law, but they're progressive. And I loved the people that I was going to be working with. Like if I was going to go into law, this was the firm I was going to go to. I got super connected with um, a woman who is in their entertainment department and had offered for me to start working on projects with her, which would have been, you know, this just incredible opportunity. She works with incredible celebrities and musicians and you know, it was everything that I wanted to do because I had focused on IP. So like trademark, copyright, business law, copyright, um, contracts, all that kind of stuff in law school. And I wanted to do, you know, combine my two passions, but I finally got to a point where I realized that I couldn't continue down both roads and I couldn't go to that firm and still be shooting the amount of weddings that I was shooting And they had wanted, you know, my my full time commitment to them. And I just I couldn't do it in my heart. Like my business had been my baby and it it was a really hard decision. But I eventually decided that I would go full time with my business. It had sustained my um, you know, my income for the last, you know, all through law school for three to four years. It had been growing and I had said to myself, if what if I gave this all of my time and attention, and I've only been doing, you know, been able to give it part of my attention. And, you know, what if I had, I had to turn down so many opportunities to travel and to photograph celebrities or athletes because of law school and commitments, like what if I had the freedom to explore all those opportunities and the flexibility of my schedule and the freedom to create and to like, really pour into my business. And I decided that, that quality of life was really important for me. And I decided to make the decision to go full time with my business. And it's taken me about six months or so. Um, It's been about six or eight months since I made that decision. And I launched a second business, which is a combination of the two. So um, we called it the artist lawyer. And that's, you know, my contract and template shop, I offer legal consultations for creatives, we're working on lots of guides and resources. So you know what to do if your cup. If your image is infringed on, how do you file a copyright infringement on Instagram or Facebook and get the image removed and properly invoice the company for infringing on your copyright and all different kinds of guides and resources like that that combine legal business and creative resources for um, entrepreneurs. Is my new little, my new little passion project that I'm working on.
0: Wow. Okay, but this is all happened in a relatively short amount of time. And recently, I didn't realize how recent it actually was.
1: Oh, yeah. We just launched, I mean, this new business and this new website that we worked on, the Artist Lawyer. It launched like two weeks ago. Wow. (laughs) So it's been recent. And yeah, I've been full time for about six months now. So six or eight months.
0: Okay. Well, so let's first of all talk about, I mean, we're going to get into that transition from being um, or from being a part—I mean, I'm going to put in air quotes—part-time photographer because you were shooting like what 30, 40 weddings yeah. a year, or something like that. It's kind of crazy. But what that transition looked like from going to going from part-time to full-time in just a bit. But first of all, you've—I mean—you've shown the importance that you place on workflows and efficient workflows already in our conversation. Are there specific workflows and processes that you had in place while you were both involved in law and photography simultaneously that enabled you to run that photography business like you were?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think everything we touched on so far has, you know, I've set myself up for, you know, doing outsourcing as much as I can and doing what I needed to focus on. Um, Things that I do best in my business was what I wanted to do. If I was going to be able to run it and sustain it through, all of these things. And I mean, I essentially was doing two jobs full time. So that was, that was a lot. (laughs) I don't recommend it. And the first couple months were me like feeling like I was (laughs) on this train that was running 200 miles per hour for the last like four years. And I just like needed to breathe for a couple months after that. Um, But now that I'm like getting situated into this new, new life, it's, it's been really freeing.
0: But the, is it delegation then do you think is the biggest factor and that, that enabled you to be able to, f- yeah. to even get by at that point?
1: Definitely. Okay.
0: And, and how long ago did you even start delegating work? Because that isn't necessarily something that a, a relatively new photographer immediately thinks about, right? They're just, they're kind yeah. of frantically just trying to keep up with it all of themselves. How early in your business did you begin delegating anything?
1: Right from the get go. I mean, I didn't have time. I was in law school and my, the weddings I was taking on per year were growing exponentially in terms of not just how many I was taking on, but also the budgets, the, you know, the size of the weddings. Like I went, you know, I think we all start at a certain level and I grew pretty quickly. And I would attribute a lot of that to outsourcing and delegating Wow, I was I had to I had to outsource and delegate from a very very early point yeah. but it allowed me to focus what on what I do best is connection connecting with my clients serving my clients communicating with my clients if I you know I'm outsourcing editing and selection of images and album design all this stuff that like that you know I can do it but if somebody can do it just as good if not better than me why why should I spend my time doing that and I, I literally couldn't spend my time doing that because I was in law school, but it, I think pretty early on set me up for exponential growth.
0: So I I can hear some photographers being like, well, but I do have time to do it. Right. It's, it's easy for Maggie to say she didn't have time. So of course she delegated, of Mm -hmm. course she outsourced, but being on the other side of that decision to begin delegating to someone else or to other people, Maggie, what would you Mm -hmm. say to the photographer who's just like, Oh, but I have the time I'll just do it myself because I have the time.
1: Yeah. Well, I, and I think I struggled with that too now that I, you know, I went full time with my business six or eight months ago and I thought to myself, well, I've outsourced all this stuff. I could probably save some money if I decided to take some of that back on. Yeah. But if it's not what you do best, if you're not fulfilled sitting in front of a computer screen editing and you can free up that time to do something that you're really good at, like overall brand strategy networking with venues or vendors that you want to be working with, connecting with other photographers, connecting with clients, like being out, putting your face out there. It's definitely scary to make that decision. But once you do, you won't look back, like you're not going to they're like oh maybe I should go back to editing for sixteen hours a week, you
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but see that, and I think that's the fact that or the the piece that seems to somehow get missed is because you know we can talk about what we're good at or not good at or what we even like doing and what we don't like doing. I actually like editing, but can you imagine yeah. if I tried to do editing not only not just for myself because I shot at one point as many as thirty to forty weddings a year as well. Uh, But imagine if I tried to do all the editing for the thousands of photographers that we've worked with over, you know, the last 12 years, I mean, it just, it's not, it's not possible. It's not realistic and it has nothing to do whatsoever with how much I like it or how good I am at it. There's a time Mm -hmm. factor and, and, you know, the idea of regularly giving up anywhere from eight to 10 to 12 to 16 hours a week editing, which photographers do regularly, Uh, and, and miss out as a result on their uh, just personal life, Uh, whether it's relationships with people, having time to just go take a walk, like you were talking about. And, and then of course there's their business, things that they could be doing with their business with that 10 to 12 to 16 hours that would actually grow their business. Like you were talking about the networking as just one example, um, that's that's the piece that's confusing to me, ultimately, that more photographers don't take advantage of it. There is an initial fear, an apprehension, a concern of giving up control and having to spend a little bit of money. But what's on the other side of that is so much freedom and such an amazing opportunity to do things that will actually build your business. Editing won't do that. Um, that I, I just wish more photographers would, would I guess, develop the perspective that you have. Because, of course, it's not just about editing. it's It's, in general, being the CEO of your business, looking at the bigger picture, delegating to other people so that you can focus on the bigger picture. And it just gives mm-hmm. you so much more freedom and flexibility in the end.
1: Yes. Totally. <laughs> I completely
0: agree. <laughs> it's, it's huge. It's huge. Well, I, I appreciate, again, you highlighting the significance of delegation. Yeah. Of course, yeah, naturally, I'm going to speak about editing, but there, there are so many different areas we can delegate of our business. I mean, the, the album design, the um, the accounting work, as you also talked about, uh, email management and administration, and the list goes on. There are things that we don't have to do as photography business owners. If we just we be willing to spend a little bit of money give up a little bit of control we would have so much freedom and flexibility on the other side and it would free us up not just to, to have a personal life but also to build our business so that's it's such we, we really can't emphasize um, the significance of delegation enough but let's actually jump to that that move that you made so you go from part-time to full-time when you made the decision to make that jump to full-time I know that you mentioned to to me before we started recording a couple of factors that you had in mind what are those factors that you were considering
1: yeah. So um, one of the, the first couple of things that I usually advise small businesses on when they're starting out is to set themselves up as a professional right away so that their business is set up for success. And in my mind, it's never too soon to make those appropriate professional business investments. So some of the things that you and I just quickly chatted through was um, using contracts, not not all photographers, I have been surprised to learn, use contracts and in using contracts, it's super important to make sure they're legitimate. You're buying them from an attorney or in a a legal contract shop. You're not buying them from some random photographer or some random design website. Um, It's super important that you're buying them from an attorney or if you're drafting it yourself or like mashing podging it together, which some people do that you're having it reviewed by an attorney and having it attorney approved, or, you know, even specifically having it custom drafted. Some of the other things that are super important right away, right off the bat is setting up a legal entity for your business. Most people choose an LLC. And once you have those documents, you're able to start a business bank account Then you can do another really good thing of keeping your personal and business assets separated. For sure. Um, Insurance is super important for small businesses to have that set up right away. Um, Outsource, make sure you're complying with um, any state laws and all those kinds of things.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and you mentioned, um, and, and there's so many different directions we can go here. I actually want to get back to my question about how you decided to make the jump full time because there were a couple of factors you had mentioned to me before we started recording that enabled you to even make the decision to make that move. But these are definitely some important points that all of our listeners who are maybe considering making that move to full time, maybe they've shot on the side a little bit, a couple portrait sessions here and there, maybe a wedding or two for a friend or a family member, and they want to. To make that move to full-time or at least considering the possibility, it's a great list of things that they should be doing to to do so legitimately, certainly, but also to cover the bases, to make sure that they're taking care of themselves legally um, so they don't run into any issues down the road, that they're taking care of themselves financially as well so they don't run into any issues down the road. You mentioned um, legit, the significance of legit, legit contracts, and of course, we're going to link to your site in the show notes at bocapodcast.com for our listeners, if, if they're curious to be able to have access to legitimate um, lawyer-approved or attorney-approved contracts, keeping business and personal assets separate really just it, it makes it so much easier, especially for the sake of handling taxes, quarterly, uh, monthly sales tax, mm-hmm. and of course, our, our income tax quarterly and, and annually. Uh, legit business license. Um, it, it seems it should go without saying, but photographers, if they're going to run a business, need to do that. Insurance. Um, this is. Is there a particular type of insurance that that you have purchased for your business, or types of insurance that you would recommend um, our listeners who are just getting started that they purchase?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's um, three different types of insurance. You're going to have liability insurance, professional insurance. And then equipment insurance. Typically, it's bundled into one. Um, I personally use Hill & Usher, which I believe is specifically for photographers, although don't quote me on that.
0: Okay.
1: Um, But I switched to them recently. I know that there are some insurance companies out there that are specifically for photographers. And you're going to make sure... The insurance is going to make sure that you're covered if, say, for example, somebody tripped over your equipment and breaks their ankle and they wanted to say that you negligently placed your bag in the middle of the reception hallway or something like that. You're going to want to make sure that you have professional coverage as far as, um, you know, any equipment failure, if anything were to happen, with um you know what your your contract says that you're supposed to deliver to your client and then you're going to want to make sure that you have your equipment covered as well so in case of damage or loss if anything was stolen you can usually i submit yearly to our insurance and i make sure i update it quarterly as well the list of all of our equipment that we have and anything we've purchased so hard drives lenses camera bodies Um, anything, any major equipment items that we buy, we list all of that out with the replacement value and purchase cost. And we're insured for, for all of that equipment as well.
0: Okay. And that's, that's, I really appreciate you summing all of that up. And by the way, for those photographers listening in are just kind of overwhelmed with that idea. And you're you're considering making the move and you're like, Oh my goodness, I have to buy insurance too. It sounds like it'd be so expensive. It's actually, (laughs) not. not it's really not that expensive. And if you just go to your local insurance provider, or even check out Helen Usher, um, I think PPA is, is that the, the insurance company through which PPA has um, insurance or has provided insurance for photographers? Do you know?
1: I'm not sure. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. But I know okay. PPA offers an insurance. Mine's not through PPA, but they do offer an insurance as well. Yeah, I- we'll, we'll link
0: to we'll link to Helen Usher in the show notes and, and the PPA solution as well. Haley, her produces the show. We'll link to that in the show notes. For those of you who are curious, but all this to say, it's it's absolutely vital that you make sure you have insurance in place if you're going to be starting your business um, going full time outsourcing. We've we've spoke at length about that. I won't continue to harp on the significance of that, but it's <laughs> so so important to outsource or, or delegate. Really is what we're talking about. Um, there were a couple other things that you had mentioned to me before we started. Um, not spending too much on education or avoid spending too much on on education, which is interesting to me because. Uh, or it may be counterintuitive. Some some of our listeners are like, well, I'm just getting started. Shouldn't I spend money in education? Where is the balance there? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So I think that the market is so inundated right now with education for photographers. Everyone right now is an educator. And I think when what I see is when a lot of people are starting out, they want to invest in everything. Like they're like, I need, you know, I need to learn this and I need to learn that. And I think it's really important if you're going to put your CEO cap on to think strategically, what do you realistically need to invest in um, and learn to be able to run your business? And I, I see photographers all the time, just buying, buying, buying education and never even finishing it or opening it up right? Um, just because I I think there's just so much out there on the market. It can be really overwhelming and we think we need all these things. Like, You don't need to invest $1,000 into a Pinterest strategy course in your first year of business. You don't need to invest, I I mean, in my opinion, I don't think in SEO if that's not... You want to think about where are your clients going to come from? If you're at a price point where they might not book you straight off of, of the internet, why are you investing in SEO or, or Pinterest if that's not what's going to best serve your business? So thinking through all of that strategy, like why are you investing in Pinterest or SEO, um, or any of those specific points?
0: Yeah, it is important. Actually, I'm glad that you highlight the the significance of that bigger picture being clear about what it is that you're even trying to accomplish as a business upfront, what your business model is. That should determine the client that you're, that you're trying to go after and ultimately the business. The business model that you're running, and so it's it's important to keep the bigger picture in mind, to put that CEO hat on, as Maggie is saying, and um, that will help you filter out that which is not relevant. and And by the way. I mean, if you're listening to this episode now, you know about the Boca podcast. We have, probably by the time this episode comes out, um, roughly 400 episodes worth of content out there. It's all categorized. If you go to BocaPodcast.com, this is free education. And we pretty much have covered the gamut as far as topics are concerned, especially when it comes mm-hmm. to starting your business. So make sure you leverage resources like this. And there are others as yeah. well that, that cost little to nothing and um, but then be very clear ultimately about what it is you're trying to accomplish so that you can filter out the education, the resources and so forth that are not relevant. So you're not spending money unnecessarily. I think that's actually a really important point. And the other thing that you had mentioned to me Maggie, before we started was the, the, the importance of shooting um, legally and safely, making sure that you have permits uh, when you go to photograph, uh, not, avoiding the train tracks. Can you kind of elaborate on this a little bit?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that there's so much. I mean, social media. <laughs> does interesting things to yes. the industry, but just being aware, not just taking what you see on the internet for granted. So if you see somebody doing a shoot on train tracks or on like a private property, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you should go and do that. Like you should check with your state's laws. You should, if you're shooting in risky locations, like on a cliff or a mountaintop, or if you're diving into pools with your clients, I don't know, whatever it might be that you're doing, you just want to make sure you're, you're being safe. You're legally protecting yourself that, you know, I know for a lot of adventure and elopement photographers, they're including assumption of risk to their contracts. You definitely want to make sure that you're not shooting on train tracks because it's usually illegal. There's, you know, all these different things that you to make sure that you're, you're um, operating as a safe and legal business and not just taking what you see out on the internet for granted.
0: Yeah, it's, it's true. And again, it seems like one of those things that goes without saying, but um, I think it does need to be highlighted, especially as you pointed out, because of what we're seeing on the social media. It's just good to be aware of these things. Now, be, quickly before we close here, um, there were a couple of things that you had mentioned to me to, to consider. It, if we have listeners right now, they're like, okay, this makes sense. I know I've got this list. I'm taking the notes. I know I need to do these things in order to make that jump to going full-time uh, or at least calling myself a professional photographer. But how do I actually make the decision to, to go full time. There were a couple of things you mentioned to me before we started recording. One was um, quality of life. And I'd love for you to expand on these quality of life. And the second was considering how you need to replace your income. Can you comment on both of those?
1: Yeah. So two factors for me that was super important in making that decision was, did I feel secure with my income. And something I see a lot of people do is they'll decide, hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an interior designer. I'm going to be a professional photographer. I like to see people start to make an income before they leave their career or something that has security. And for me, that was, it was important for me if I was going to walk away from insurance and benefits and those kinds of things to know that I have you know, this expectation of a certain amount of income that I'm going to make each year um, and understanding how that ebbs and flows with the different months. Like, you know, we have months and we book a ton of weddings for May, June and September and October um, for our region. So how that ebbs and flows and how we manage our money and just having an idea of like, okay, this is what we're going to make each year. We can kind of guarantee this if we have this number of bookings. And we know that by this date, we should have this number of bookings for the next year. If that makes sense, just having an idea of security in mind before making the jump to leaving something that's already secure is a really smart move in my mind. Um, if yeah. you're thinking about it, testing the water.
0: <laughs> we're we're actually you're breaking up just a little bit, losing you a little bit, but I think I think your 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 point is well taken that actually looking at the bigger picture again. Um, and, and first of all, just starting with the basics, I mean, how much do I need to, to make in order to meet just basic needs, you know, pay rent to yeah. buy food, uh, pay for my car, these kinds of things. And, and if, if you've never, for those of you listening, if you've never taken the time to actually come up with a, a basic budget, monthly budget, do that so that you create a certain level of awareness about the money that you need just to survive. Then add on top of that, um, of course, what you want to save. And then maybe an additional bit for a vacation or two. So this will give you a, a, a general idea of how much money you need to, to ultimately make. Break that into 12 months. Understand, as Maggie pointed out, and this is so important, that income does or revenue does ebb and flow through the year. It'll come in stronger at certain times than others. So you have to plan. You have to manage the incoming money accordingly, understanding that you have, these monthly, um, or that you have this monthly budget that you ultimately have to make. Uh, or to meet rather, and then you also have to keep in mind that you need to be s- setting aside a pretty significant percentage. Thirty percent is generally the the average recommendation, but definitely talk to an accountant um, that you need to be setting aside from each dollar that you make, so that you can also take care of taxes. And it, it's it's a overwhelming number to consider, but it's just the simple reality of it. And if you don't consider that, then really all these basic ideas that we're sharing right now. Um, you're going to end up stuck in a really difficult place. So you just make sure you're taking the time to to ultimately consider these details up front. What, talk to me about what you meant, though, by quality of life. What were you alluding to there?
1: Yeah. So the other big factor for me with jumping to full-time was what my life would look like, my lifestyle, my schedule, my quality of life. And when I was looking at my two options, like going full-time at a law firm and working for myself, from home i definitely chose the you know the work from home run my own business model of life because I wanted flexibility. I wanted freedom over my schedule. I wanted to feel creative and passionate and to connect with other people. And I felt like if I had been working in a law firm, um, you know, I'd be wearing a suit every day. I would be really stressed and kind of like under the thumb of somebody else as far as my schedule and what I could wear and, you know, just everything, my entire quality of life. And I didn't think that, you know, the risk and the security of working for, for a big law firm and the benefits of it and the lifestyle of it, um, to me wasn't worth it if I could choose this other kind of lifestyle. Like I was willing to take those little risks yeah. to have the kind of life that that I can live. And now, you know, I look at my life and if I had told myself at eighteen that, you know, I was gonna have a house in Ocean City with a dog and have my own schedule and able to make coffee with my husband in the morning and walk on the beach and talk to people on the phone from home and serve clients on the weekends that that's like the dream life. Like (laughs) for me, that was so important. I can travel when I want, I can go destination weddings. Um, it's just, it was more ideal and it was worth that risk to me.
0: Well, and, and And that that goes back to the significance of looking at the bigger picture. You've you've alluded to this a number of times in the conversation. Um, and I think it's a great way to finish our conversation today. the, The reminder that we, We need to look at the bigger picture of life to start with and then let that, you know, be clear about what it is that we're actually even trying to accomplish, what we want out of life. And let that then determine ultimately the the direction that we go as far as deciding, first of all, whether or not we want to even to to get into business for ourselves, because it's it's definitely a challenge. There's no question. Uh, But the flip side of that may be these these benefits that ultimately enable you to have the life that you want to. So if you're clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish with your life, you can ultimately establish a business and a business model that will support those goals and end up in an even better place despite the challenges that come along with it, a much better place uh, because you're ultimately living the life that you want to. So Uh, I appreciate you kind of finishing the conversation off with that reminder, Maggie. Will you just share with our listeners one more time where they can follow you online, websites, social media, um, and we'll make sure to put these in the show notes too.
1: Sure. So my Instagram is my name, Maggie Fisher, M-A-G-I-F-I-S-H-E-R. And my website is the same thing, maggiefisher.com. Um, and I think, I think that's the most of it for, for now. Cool.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, we'll make sure to put these all in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Thank you everybody listening in. And thank you, Maggie, once more for making time for all of us.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks so much photographers for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at dot podcast.com. We do try to bring this show to you commercial free. So make sure to check out our sponsors photographers, edit.com and Milu, M I I L U.com. Photographers edit is custom photo editing for the professional photographer And Milu is the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.